Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I hope you brought your Bible. Um, Back in the day, we'd say shoulder arms, present arms, and then we'd do a Bible drill. Anybody remember those Bible drills? Come on, we're doing age thing here. How many remember those Bible drills, shoulder arm, present arm? Thank you, thank you, two, three, four, five, six. feel like an auctioneer. Anyway, uh, and then you would have to race to find a scripture. And it really challenged you to learn the 66 books of the Bible and where they are. Uh, I'm not going to do that this morning. But I do encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday mornings. And so there's two texts. Um, What has been the text? Somebody tell me what the text has been. We've had a general text throughout the last three months. What it, what's it been? It's probably up there. Okay, not up yet. Good. <laughs> now, it, did it go up and come off again? Okay, it's James. James 1.12 has been our text. Oops, yeah. Uh, James 1, Mitzi took, Mitzi took pity on you. James 1.12 has been our text throughout. And so would you go there, please? James chapter 1. And then also would you with your, this is where the handy part of having... Bible is you've got 10 fingers. You can look up 10 passages, right? And hold them all in sequence. Go to Acts chapter 13. Hold that. And then, actually, it's not going to be our full text. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Chronicles, but this starts us off. James chapter 1. This has been our ongoing theme. We've been talking about the crown, and we're three successive kings. We're talking David. Today's the last day on David. And then we're going to be talking of Solomon. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Solomon. So here's what I need you to do. Uh, I don't know the last time or if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes. Everybody say Ecclesiastes. Okay, now you won't forget it. Ecclesiastes. So Solomon's noted to have written three books, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, Proverbs. Proverbs is the most known of the books. And as some know, Proverbs has how many chapters? Anybody know? 31 chapters. You can actually take, some do it, uh, do a chapter a day every month. And you get to 31. If you have 31 days, October will have 31 days. You can do a chapter a day and go right to chapter 31, the end of October. Uh, But what we're going to be studying in a couple of weeks is the book of Ecclesiastes, the third book, the last book that Solomon wrote. And Ecclesiastes is a very disturbing book, so I'm just going to tell you straight up. You're going to be a little disturbed in Ecclesiastes. You're going to think this guy needs to have some serious psychological, psychiatric treatment. Because as you go through here, you're going to recognize, depends what translation... He's going to over and over say, and this too is meaningless. It's kind of discouraging. Remember the first time I read through it, I was depressed. It's like, and they call this guy wise? Uh, We want to spend some time because he really brings up some, some relevant things that need to be spoken of today. And I think if we're going to carry the crown to the end, we need to understand them. And so Proverbs, I'm not sorry, Proverbs, you can read Proverbs if you want, but read Ecclesiastes. I can encourage you to read Ecclesiastes, dive into the book. You're going to just, it's going to be fascinating. It's also very disturbing. Um, but we're going to be disturbed together as a church. Okay, James chapter 1, if you have it. How many have it? Okay, I see one, two hands. Okay, perfect. We can do it with two. 
James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We receive the crown of life. God help us to have and retain the crown. I want you to go to Acts chapter 13. Final words as the New Testament speaks of David. Acts chapter 13, we're going to go to verse 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose, did you notice that? David served God's purpose in his own generation. He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Father, ask that you would steer us this morning. Steer us to where you need us to go. Give us alertness of thought that we refuse to slumber. We refuse distractions. We refuse to let our minds to be taken over by anything, but that we would subject our minds to your word this morning so that you might through that speak to our hearts and steer our lives as we're asking. Steer our lives in the direction we need to go. That's all we can ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, go with me now to First Chronicles. We're going to finish off David. First Chronicles, join me in First Chronicles. Some lives, when we get to First Chronicles 29, you can go settle in chapter 29. Some lives are so significant and courageous in their accomplishments that they really before, they, they start a new era. And others at the, at the point of their death end an era. I was... Um, reading on uh, uh, a news feed this morning on my, my phone, and it was talking to Jimmy Carter, just turned 99. Maybe some of you saw that, Jimmy Carter, uh, old-time president of the United States, uh, just turned 99. He was supposed to have died back in, uh, he was supposed, when he was 90 years old, so I guess that would be nine years ago. He came down with cancer, and, and uh, they operated. And, did. and here he is, 99 years later. He's 99 years old. That's really unusual for a man, uh, unusual for anybody for that matter. And, uh, and so they're doing these big celebrations, and a lot of tributes are coming in. And he's kind of one of the few that gets to read them. Often people read the tributes when we're dead. I always wondered about that, huh? Uh, it's like, well, they can't really appreciate it. Uh, really, if we could just move that time frame up a little and let people know the good things that we can share regarding their lives. And, and um, whatever you think of Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, he, he has done, he's a follower of Jesus, uh, avid follower of Jesus, uh, and has done some huge humanitarian things in his life, and, and that needs to be acknowledged. And so at the end of his era, I would say he has left a tremendous legacy. Tremendous legacy around the globe, not because he was president, but because he cared for people. He had compassion on people. Uh, and I believe that will live on. David, although alive at this point where we're reading of him, when he dies, his legacy grows. And, you know, the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion is called after David, the city of David. And successive kings that would come after would always refer back to the kingdom of David's time. Yeah, never referred back to Saul, never really referred back to Solomon. 
uh, referred back to David. And so there's, he really did stand out. And he was a man after God's own heart, which qualified. I preached a message some time ago that um, although his son Solomon, when asked what is the one thing God asked him, what's the one thing you want? What can I do for you? And he asked for wisdom. And it was a good thing. He could have asked for many other things. He asked for a good thing. But as you compare the two kings, I believe there's good argument. He didn't ask for the best thing. He asked for a good thing, but not the best thing. For David had sought the best thing. David would say in Psalms 27, one thing I desire, and this is what I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He would seek to stand on the rock and the rock only of God, his Savior. David sought the one thing all his heart would serve God. That's the one thing Solomon missed. He was wise, and as you read through Ecclesiastes, you're going to discover it drove him nuts. But David wasn't driven to nuts. David had a lot of nutty people around him, but he wasn't driven to nuts. David pursued with a heart God. And... uh, There was a heart that was unique. God loved it. We come to 1 Chronicles, the last part, chapter 28, chapter 29. We find both the record of the end of his life and his last recorded words. So it's worth looking at. I've attempted to bring all this together. We've got a lot of scripture, so we're going to be looking at this, reading. I just want to kind of take it in its context. In this closing chapter of David's years on earth, David is involved, and I count, I believe, four fundamental activities. I'm going to lay out these four things because, again, the focus is how do we keep the crown, the crown of life that God is offering to us. So here we go. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. The first one I want to talk about, the David's activity He talks about unfulfilled dreams as he gets to the end of life. This is relevant. And he reflects on the temple. The reflecting on the temple, unfulfilled dreams. Let's read it, chapter 29, 1 Chronicles, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great. He's turning the crown over to Solomon. The task is great. Because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, onyx, turquoise, stones of various colors, marble of large quantities. If there was one legacy yet unfulfilled in David's life, he really wanted to build that temple. He really wanted to build the temple. It was, when it's done, spectacular. We read of it later. And he really wanted to have a part of that. Something he aspired towards, his heart longed. You You will see references earlier in his life. He had the Davidic tent or the Davidic tabernacle. It was a temporary tabernacle, and and it was made according to the tabernacle time in the Moses. But it was a new tabernacle. It's a Davidic tabernacle. It's a tabernacle that really had praise in a way that Moses' tabernacle was built around the law. Moses, the five law, 
wrote the first five books. But David is characterized by praise and worship. And so in the tabernacle of David, there was this resounding praise. And you get this flowing out when the temple is built. There is praise like none other. I mean, the horns, the singers, everything. I mean, and it went around the clock. They shook the heavens with praise. That flowed out of the heart of David. You didn't see that with Moses. Moses was about the law. David was about praise and worship. He didn't didn't forget the law. He added the component, he's a God to be praised. He's a God to be worshipped. You you get that from the life of David. Uh, He really wanted to be a part of that, and he wouldn't. He couldn't build the temple. And although David had a deep desire to build the temple of God, God said no. Wouldn't it be nice if every time... Actually, it probably wouldn't. It would be to our downfall. But many times, I think it would be really nice if God just said yes to everything I asked. We would like that, wouldn't we? Just say yes, God, before I ask the question. And David wanted to build the temple, and God said no. Uh, and here's the cool part. Uh, here's the part that I think is worth, and David accepted it. He didn't resent it. If God says no, then no it is. And that's okay. I trust you, God. It's okay when I get a no. I think this is important because we spend a lot of time wanting things, justifying it, not always getting it, and then how your attitude and reaction, ooh, now that gets dicey. And I think David is a great example of someone who didn't get something. We come to the end of his life, and he knows he doesn't have enough fuel in the tank to build the temple now because God has said, no, it won't be you. Let's pick it up. Let's go back a chapter. First Chronicles 28, verse 3. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Verse 4, yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Okay, I just want to pause here. What's David doing here? Note the first part. God says, you are not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior and you've shed blood. David, you got blood on your hands. You can't build this temple. The very next verse, yet the Lord, the God of Israel, and he begins to talk about what God has done. I want to tell you what he's doing. He's focusing not on what isn't happening or hasn't happened. He's focusing on what God is doing in his life. Do you see that? What God did allow David to do. Not get stuck on what he didn't do. Listen up. It's so easy for you and I to get disappointed with things. Been there, done it, and continue to. To get distraught over being frustrated. Our desires not coming to pass. That we forget the things that God has given us. The good things. And during the closing years of David's life, rather than pining away over the unfulfilled desires, David focuses on the good things that God has done for him. Hmm. Isn't this a word for us? Instead of pining away at what you missed and it didn't happen, he focuses us. The next verse, 4, 
Yet, God, here's what you've done. You didn't have to do this, but God, you, you called me. And he began to talk about that, the desires that God did give him. What a man. Look at, let's continue on, verse 5. Look at how positively he states God's plan. Let's go verse 5. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. And we talked about that a little while ago. Remember we talked, he had 20 sons? Of all my sons, the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I've chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. In other words, God says, I'll look after. Seven, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. In other words, as you did, David, if he does it, I'm there for him too. Verse 8. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of God, in the hearing of our God, be careful, David's saying, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. Hmm. David's saying that although God didn't give him a yes to the particular request, he did grant David other Fulfillment to dreams. Beloved, this morning, we need to allow our minds to give thanks. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, right? Come on. Let's, there's things that are, you're believing for. Continue to believe in them, but don't get stuck there. Don't, give, don't get it. Watch the attitude that the enemy loves this when you get bent out of shape. And it causes and it affects the way you pray. It affects the way you live your faith. It affects the way you inter- interact with people. David accepted this, and he moved on in thanksgiving because God had done so many other things in his life. Ah, good word. So do you have some cherished desires that you need to maybe relinquish? Usually it takes getting up in years to to realize that. When you're young, hey, your life is in front of you. But like David, it's an opportunity to find satisfaction in what God has allowed you you to do we can live the rest of our lives swamped in guilt maybe overwhelmed by failures of our past and it can eat your heart out i've seen it over and over or we can say by the grace of god i did the best i could with what i had with what i had And I claim his promise that somehow he'll use what I did to accomplish his glory forever and ever. And he will. We believe that. What a wonderful attitude to have at the end of your life. So let's talk. David talked of this first point as he reflected. He reflected on the temple unfulfilled dream. That's the first one. Let's go to number two. Let's continue on. He's talking regarding his son. His son's an untried ruler. So speaking to the son, now we move into the second activity just before he dies. He speaks to the son, an untried ruler. He turns to his son and he speaks and he chooses his word carefully. We pick this up, chapter 28, verse 9. You, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. 
If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Oh, wow, there's a lot there. At first glance, when I go to the first part, he says, My son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly. When I first read that, I was a little surprised at the first words David said to his son. Acknowledge the God of your father. That was the first words. A little surprised that those were the first ones. If he's given a great speech, I didn't really thought, think that that was the best beginning. Until I spent a little bit more time, I actually went to the dictionary and looked up the word acknowledge. David had been a king for four decades. And he knew that the throne of Israel and the person on it would be kept so busy and would be tempted in so many areas, they would lose sight of God. So close to God and so far from him. I'm just so, I haven't acknowledged uh, Josephine. She's a friend of mine from our upper Zoom on Tuesday. Josephine, just wave. Okay, I know she didn't want me to do this. But she's a pastor and she's been one of our I feel she's a dear friend because we join each other on Tuesday among 20-some other pastors every Tuesday and we pray. And, uh, and, and praise God for that. Um, you know, I remember in Bible college somebody telling me, you're going to spend your life as a pastor, you're going to spend your life reading the Bible, you're going to spend your life doing a lot of Christian stuff, and you can lose God in the midst of it. Right? Can't we? You can be so close to the cross and yet so far from the cross. You're doing all good things, but you've lacked knowing him. You're doing it for others all the time. You're reading scripture. And one of the earlier things I had to figure out, am I reading this for me or am I reading this to do a good message? Right? Because if you're not careful, a good thing turns bad. And you go through the motions of the good thing, but you lost the heart. That's why people quit. That's why many people walk away from the church. Oh, if I could just intersect those moments before they leave. And they leave for all the reasons that they think is good. But you've been doing good things. Be careful. That's why the first command Jesus talks about, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor and others. Because if you just simply serve others without that personal devotion to him, you'll start to complain. Well, how come they're not volunteering? How come they're not helping out? Where, are, where were they? Blah, 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 blah. You start getting angry at people because they don't measure up, according to your mind, anyway. But if you can make him first and foremost all the time, then you realize that he looks after all that stuff because it's here that's the most important thing, not there. That flows out of here. I mean, I'm... I'm effective as a pastor and as a friend to you if I'm good with God, but if I'm not good with God, I'm not going to be really good with you either. You follow? And, and this is, this. David knows the throne, although it offers, I mean, this was a big throne he's turning over to his son. It offers a lot, but he's concerned because it has with it a lot of temptations. And not just temptations. I mean, Solomon, he really messed it up. David had problem with women, Solomon took it to a whole new level. There's temptations there, but that wasn't the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem was Solomon didn't get what David was saying here. Okay, So David started off here, and David knows that 
There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference. You might be able to quote scripture, might be able to know about God, but do you know him? How well do you know him? Many of you know about Wayne Lucas. You see him on Sundays, you see him maybe different other parts. But not unless you are somebody in the inner, inner circle, such as my wife, my kids, do you know, do you really know me? That's true with me to you. Do you really know? We know about, we know the peripherals, but we really don't know deeply. And David is saying to his son Solomon, Solomon, it's not enough to know about God. You've watched me. You've heard me. We've done the tabernacle of, of David, the place of prayer. You know about these things. But Solomon, you got to know him. That was the very first thing, acknowledge. The word acknowledge means recognize the fact or importance or the quality of God. You must now personally recognize how valuable God is. Is it any wonder that Solomon early in his, right after this, would write Proverbs chapter 3? Many of us quote this, Proverbs 3 verse 5. The New King James says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is Solomon writing this later, just right after David's death. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Acknowledge, meaning recognizing the fact, the importance, the quality of. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I wonder, I wonder this morning if you could pull your son or daughter aside before you died and you were giving one piece of advice to them, what would it be? What would that one piece be? Maybe more importantly, what advice are you saying now to those around you? David's giving some really good advice here. I, I wonder, when David looked deeply into Solomon's eyes that day, yes, he saw the grace gift of Bathsheba. That was a gift. Solomon was a blessing. But I wonder if he also saw the early warning signs of waywardness in Solomon. I wonder. He saw some tendencies in his son as he gives these words, these wise words. Hmm. The second thing David said, we come to that text there. He said, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Acknowledge him. Then the, the next part, serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. In other words, Solomon, don't make God force you to worship him. You choose to worship him. You don't worship him just showing up once a week. You don't worship him in just when there's a group together. You don't worship him when you hit the play button on your device and you have a song. That's not the worship we're talking about. Solomon, you choose. You choose with all your heart to worship him. Do it willingly. Hold nothing back. What are you holding back for, Solomon? Give everything in your place of worship. It should be exploding from you. Serve him wholeheartedly, Solomon. Don't give him a, a room of your house. Give him your entire house. Worship him with everything. David could say this because he was one who practiced what he preached here. He was a sweet singer, sweet composer. You read through the Psalms, which is many of them, not all of them, from David. And you 
have no doubt David left this legacy for Solomon, and he's saying, Solomon, it's not enough for you simply to recite someone else's. You know, I love the song, Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God, but what songs are stirring in my heart? What song am I singing to the Lord these days? Am I simply singing someone else's song? I call it echo worship. Echo worship, you know, it's not, it's not real. It's an echo of someone else. I'm singing someone else's worship all the time. Have I got something birthed in my own heart to give God? And if it isn't, it's not, this is not reprimanding. Then seek the Lord with something new. Take out pen, take out paper, and begin to write something up your heart and just begin to offer in a state of worship. Something that touched my heart this past week. My son sent me our granddaughter, and she was singing the song. Again, it's my favorite song, Holy Forever. Uh, first time I heard of Pastor Daniel, let it hear the church. It's my favorite song, Holy Forever. It's number one of the charts now. Uh, and, and so I introduced it to my daughter-in-law. She's a worship director down in Florida. Introduced her. And so now their church is singing down in Florida. And, uh, and so my little granddaughter, she's going around the house going, holy, she's two years old, holy, holy, holy forever. She's going around singing. It just, oh, it gives you goosebumps. I really don't know if she understands what she's singing. Serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. What's your spiritual legacy? David could admonish Solomon to worship God wholehearted because David did. You know, we're hypocrites if we tell our kids to serve God with their whole heart and we're not doing it. The third thing he tells Solomon here, acknowledge the God of your father, serve him with your whole heart, devotion, willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Seek him. Seek him. And then he continues on verse 10, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 10. Consider now the Lord has chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans of the portico of the temple, the building, the storerooms, the upper parts, the inner rooms, the place of atonement, all the plans the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God, and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. Remember, this, this temple was a dream that David had, but he wasn't allowed to build it. So he said, Solomon, if you're going to do it, if you're going to build this, build it right. You like that expression? If you're going to do it, do it right. Do it right. And he gave him the blueprints. And then the next thing David addresses is the subject of ruling the people, uh, where he says in verse 20, go down to verse 20, chapter 28, verse 20, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Then here it is. The divisions of the priests, the Levites, are ready for all the work of the temple of God. Every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. He's, he's dealing with how to rule the people. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because his palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. What, what's he doing? He's, he's handing the kingdom over. He's, he's passing the scepter on. 
The crown is going to be on the head of Solomon. He's handing a powerful kingdom, but a unified kingdom around his son. So let's reflect. Unfulfilled dreams. Untried ruler. The third thing David addresses here, he talks about an unchanging heavenly father. David prays before the Lord. Let's look at this. Naturally, David falls on his knees. It's a natural thing for David to do, and he utters a beautiful prayer. We pick it up in chapter 29, verse 10. David prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, and here it is. He's, he's letting them in. He's talking to his father. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted. Head over all. Wealth, honor comes from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Isn't that great prayer? David spontaneously gives gratitude for God for everything. Pick it up, verse 13. He says, we give thanks and praise to your glorious name. 14, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. In other words, you gave it, we gave it back. You gave it, we gave it back. 15. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, God, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. It's yours. It goes back. Wow. I like it. Here, David, I mean, just picture this. David is praying this, surrounded with opulence and riches, gold, silver, precious stones, People that are around David are just like, look at the majesty. Look at all the stuff he has. And here's this king saying, this doesn't mean anything compared to you, God. Surrounded by riches, but the riches never captured his heart. Would they yours? Would they your heart? You don't have to have a lot of money for riches to capture your heart. What do you give your life for now with what you have? You can tell if riches have captured your heart. But they didn't his. And he turns it over. Then David intercedes for the people, the people he's ruled for over four decades. Let's pick it up, verse 17. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you, verse 19, and give my son Solomon, here it is again, the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. 
And so they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down. Can you picture this? This would be amazing. Prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So let's reflect. Three things David's talked about here. Unfulfilled dream. He's talked about an untried ruler. And then note how he talks about this unchanging father. God was good to me. He'll be good to you too. If you serve him wholeheartedly. And let's go to the last thing David had. This is what he did before he dies. He rejoices over the assembly. He has unified them. I'm going to call it an undivided people. And rejoice the people did. Uh, verse 29, verse 20. Let's pick it, pick it up. 29, verse 20. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. Verse 21. The next day, it wasn't a flash in the pan. The next day, they made sacrifices to the Lord, presented burnt offerings to him, a thousand bulls, thousand rams, thousand male lambs together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. That must have been some moment. There's no grief here. David stepping off the scene, king, that's all the king they've, many of them, many of them never knew Saul. They've only known David. He's been the one, and, and they've been blessed by his leadership, and he's stepping off the scene, but they're not mourning. This is a day of celebration. This is a day of great rejoicing. They are celebrating. There's no mourning here. They are thrilled, gladness, and rejoicing before God. That's, uh, so verse 23. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. Verse 24, all the officers and warriors, as well as all of King David's sons, pledged their submission to King Solomon. 25, the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor, such as no king over Israel ever had before, including David. And guess who's so thrilled? David. David's so happy. Verse 28. It says of David, He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. There's the story of David. What an epitaph. Wouldn't that be good? I'd be okay to put on your epitaph, to put on your tombstone. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Listen, when a man or woman of God dies, nothing really dies. Nothing really dies. It lives on. The crown is passed on. Some lessons we can learn from this. So many of them. I appreciate the words. I want to close with the words of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews. If you want to go there, I invite you. We can go off of Chronicles now. David's gone. But Hebrews chapter 11 really echoes what happened here. Hebrews 11.32. The writer, having just mentioned several specific people by name, 
the writer of the Hebrews realizes the overwhelming benefits of becoming acquainted with those who've gone before us. It's like he is short on time and the writer to the Hebrews throws his hands up in exuberant delight and exclaims this. Hebrews chapter 11.32, let's follow. Hebrews 11.32, the writer says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, verse 34, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battles and routed foreign armies. Verse 35, women received back their dead, raised to life again. And there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Hmm. We too could go on and on today about great people of faith. Let it be, Lord. Let it be in our lives. So I come to our text Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And it takes me to the end of the story, Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, where it says the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.